0: Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we. This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the episode for October 12th through 18th. 3 Nephi 20 through 26, ye are the children of the covenant. And in this particular reading selection that we have for this assignment, um, it's kind of really hard to understand. There's lots of Malachi and Isaiah in there. And I was struggling. I was struggling with it just because I felt like it was so difficult to understand. So (laughs) there's this little meme that I saw recently, and it was of this cat, and the cat's like tangled up in the blinds and like upside down. And the meme says, I cannot brain today. I have the dumb. And that's kind of how I feel like when I'm reading these scriptures, I'm like, I cannot brain this. Like, I, I can't think through this. This doesn't make sense to me. But I think when we actually go in and look at the context of what Jesus was doing and why he was using the words of Malachi and Isaiah, it it's kind of touching, I think, the reasons that he was doing it. So... Beyond that, let's just jump right in, okay? So the introduction this week I actually think is really important. You know, some weeks I think the introduction is kind of just like lukewarm, like, meh, welcome to the assignment, blah, blah, blah. Some weeks I'm like, yes, introduction, you got this. And this week I felt really inspired by this week's introduction. So we're gonna go into it a little in depth, okay? It starts out when you hear people use terms like House of Israel, do you feel like they're talking about you? Okay, pause there. So I have to say, when I hear the word house of Israel, I think of like your typical stereotypical Pharisee, like from a long time ago, old Jewish guy in old clothes from the ancient world. Like that's what I picture of as the house of Israel. So, you know, me in my everyday, you know, walk of life, I don't really identify myself with like the old ancient Pharisee guy, you know? So it takes a little bit of a stretch of imagination to kind of, I guess, mesh my own self-identity with the house of Israel and feel like I really belong to it. Well, the introduction keeps going and it says, the Nephites and Lamanites were literal descendants of Israel. Their story even begins in Jerusalem, but to some of them... Jerusalem must have seen like a land which is far distant, a land which we know not, which is from Helam in 1620. Yes, they were a branch of the tree of Israel, but they were also lost from its body, from Alma twenty six thirty six. But when the Savior appeared to them, he wanted them to know that they were not lost to him. Ye are of the house of Israel, he said, and ye are of the covenant. Okay, One of the things that I saw in the scriptures this week, one of the ways that I feel like he ministered to them, and I don't even know if they know the significance of what happened when this this went on, was actually it's in Third Nephi 20. I'm just going to read the first seven verses there in Third Nephi 20. And it starts out, and it came to pass that he commanded the multitude that they should cease to pray and also his disciples. And he commanded them that they should not cease to pray in their hearts. Okay, pause there. Side trail, I know we're going off on like all these little bunny trails, but I like this scripture because it tells me that we can go about our lives and we can go about our everyday activities, but still have a prayer in our heart. We should not cease to pray in our hearts. So I like that scripture. Okay, um, pause. We're talking about how the Savior is treating, you know, the Nephites the same as he would treat the house of Israel. Okay, here we go. And he commanded them that they should arise and stand upon their feet and they rose up and stood upon their feet. And it came to pass that he brake bread again and blessed it, and gave to the disciples to eat. And when they had eaten, he commanded them that they should break bread and give unto the multitude. And when they had given unto the multitude, he also gave them wine to drink, and commanded them that they should give unto the multitude. Now there had been no bread, neither wine, brought by the disciples, neither by the multitude. But he truly gave unto them bread to eat and also wine to drink. Okay, so first thing that this reminds me of is that the loaves and the fishes, a miracle that he did for those of the house of Israel that were actually there in ancient Israel, right? Where he multiplied the loaves and the bread and they all, you know, ate and were filled. Well, this is, he's there with the Nephites. This is actually the second time that he's giving them the sacrament. It's the next day, which is interesting to me as well. Uh, I think probably he gave it to them the second day in a row for, for several, several reasons. I suspect, you know, they talked about gathering up a bigger group of people. So I sp- suspect there were more people there at this particular gathering than perhaps had been at the other one taking the sacrament. And I also think he came and he instituted the sacrament and said, these are, this is how you say the sacramental prayers. This is how you give the sacrament. If he had done a rundown of that once, it would have been very easy to kind of like, did Jesus say this? Do we do we need to do it this way? What way do you think we should do it? Do you think we should do it like this? How do we do the sacrament? You know, they don't necessarily have it written down or written down record. They haven't seen it a hundred of billion times like we have in our lives. And, you know, by the time our boys become twelve years old and they become deacons, they've seen the sacrament dozens of times, if not hundreds of times. They saw it once. And then yet they're supposed to follow his example and give it to the people regularly. Right. So I think Christ came and did it a second time. And in this second time, he's got the disciples really involved in the process. So he's teaching them like, okay, so I showed you how to do it. Now you turn around and you show me how you do it kind of thing, you know? So I think that that was really good for him to help kind of establish like, this is how we do the sacrament. And this is how, you know, you're, you're going to do it when I'm not here with you. But it was the moment where I realized that this is like the loaves and the fishes that he did for those in ancient Israel that I really started to see. You know, I don't even know if the Nephites knew about that particular miracle in ancient Israel. Probably not. But our Savior did. And he wanted to bless them in a similar way that he had blessed the other branch of the house of Israel. And I just think it's a really sweet kind of mirroring of that particular miracle that he did for the Nephites. He didn't have to do this. He, I mean, if he had asked, hey, you know, Sister Nephite, will you bring me some bread? And hey, Brother Nephite, will you bring me some wine? You know they would have. They would have gathered up whatever they could get. But he provided it for them miraculously. And they got to see that miracle and they got to witness it. And then they got to take it as the sacrament. So what a cool experience it was that he gave that to them, even though they didn't really feel like they were part of the house of Israel. So, There are times where we ourselves, you know, I talk about I have a hard time identifying with like old dead Jewish guys, but there are times where even I don't feel like I fit in with our general church culture. And I know all of us, no matter who you are, there are times where you don't feel like you fit in with our general church culture. That's because we talk in ideals a lot of times and we project ideals and We as people are not perfected ideals. We are flawed individuals. And so sometimes in our minds, it can be hard to live up to those perfect ideals that we're projecting. So if you have ever sat in a sacrament meeting and looked around and thought, I don't belong here. I don't look this way. I don't have this in my life. I don't have a family that looks like this. I'm not good like this. You know, for whatever reason, I don't belong here. Guess what? That means you belong Okay, that means that you belong, that you are there because that's who Jesus gathers in. He gathers in all the people who don't belong because at one time or another, none of us belong. And so going back to the introduction and come follow me, Christ addresses this. Here's what the introduction says. And this is where I'm like, yes, introduction, you get it so right. Here we go. In other words, when Jesus speaks of the house of Israel, he is talking about you. The instruction to bless all the kindreds of the earth is for you. The invitation to awake again and put on thy strength is for you. And his precious promise, my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, is for you. So for all of us who have felt at one time or another like we don't belong, that's what this is for. I think that's really, really good thought. Okay, so I was going into the come follow me sections and I'm reading them and I'm going along and I actually want to start with a different section than the first one. The first one I want to come back to in a minute. We are going to skip to the section that says the Savior wants me to search the words of the prophets. That's the first section we're going to cover. Okay. It's the second one like in the list, but we'll, we'll do it first. So it says Jesus's words and actions throughout these chapters reveal how he feels about the scriptures. What do you learn about the scriptures in 3rd Nephi 20 and several verses? And what do you find in these verses that inspire you to search these things diligently? Okay, so in 3rd Nephi 23 1, it says, And now behold, I say unto you that you ought to search these things, yea, commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. Oh, yes, Isaiah. So Isaiah and I have a complicated relationship. I love Isaiah, and I want to understand Isaiah, but he is so dang complicated. Like, I just, I struggle with him. I really do. And so for a long time, I would get really frustrated at reading his words because he is incredibly intelligent and writes incredibly beautifully, but he uses like different nicknames for different like geographical regions and for different people and different events. And he talks about different times, like the future and the past and the present all within the same verse. And like, I mean, he, he's very convoluted. And I finally got to the point with Isaiah where I'm like, I can't go in and dissect every single verse because it makes me crazy. And I feel like I have the dumb. So what I've done with Isaiah is I kind of just like, lay back and just kind of read it and take it in and just notice the beauty and appreciate Isaiah for the beauty. I feel like sometimes when I'm reading Isaiah, it's kind of like listening to opera in another language where I don't really know what's going on. I've got kind of like the translation up at the top of the stage where I can kind of read in English like what they're saying, but I don't really understand exactly what the words are that they're saying, and I can listen to it and see how beautiful it is and enjoy the experience, but I still feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between me and Isaiah. Other times, I feel like if I just read it and kind of like, do you remember those magic eye puzzles, like the magic eye posters, where if you kind of like relaxed your eyes and kind of like crossed them, eventually an image would emerge? Sometimes when I read Isaiah, like, that's how I kind of go at it, where I just kind of, like, relax and take it all in, and eventually an image kind of comes out. Well, there was some of that this week. We're going to talk about it really quick. But I want to go back. That was a side trail. Oh, my goodness, y'all. I'm telling you. I have, like, the side trail day. This is just—I'm all over the place. Okay, I'm getting back on back on the straight and narrow, though. Back on the, the topic at hand, which is why does Jesus think the scriptures are important? Okay, so I found some scriptures that told me why I think Jesus thinks the scriptures are important. And it's Third Nephi 26, 2 is where it starts out. And I'm going to read 2, 9, and 10. And it says, And he saith, These scriptures which he had not with you, and by the way, that's specifically Malachi 3 and 4, the Father commanded that I should give unto you. For it was wisdom in him that they should be given unto future generations. And this is nine. And when they shall have received this, which is expedient that they should have first to try their faith. And if it so shall be, they shall believe these things, then shall the greater things be made manifest unto them. And if it so be that they will not believe these things, then shall the greater things be withheld from them unto their condemnation. So what I see in these scriptures is that... Our Heavenly Father is saying, okay, Jesus, you can take these scriptures and give these scriptures unto the people. So they're getting new scriptures, which is really cool. And then in 9 and 10, he says, if they take this and they receive this and they study it and they have faith in it, then I will give them even greater things. But if they don't study it, if they don't pour their heart and their faith into it, then, you know, it'll be taken away. It'll be withheld from them. And I think that same promise holds true to us today. When we put our heart and our mind into things, we get even greater insight and greater knowledge out of them. Also, I feel so strongly, you know I do, about the Book of Mormon spirit. Like that there's a spirit that we get when we read the Book of Mormon that we don't get in any other book of scripture. And I think that that's a revelatory spirit that comes with us that it just helps us see things a little bit clearer. So when we read the scriptures, especially the book of Mormon, I feel like then we do have greater things that are made manifest into us, like not only within the scriptures, but also within like our everyday life. I feel like we just find greater things there. So um, that was one of the reasons I think our heavenly father wants us to read and be faithful to our scriptures so that we can receive even greater things. But Going back to Isaiah, my friend Isaiah. Okay, but Isaiah and Malachi are really hard to understand. So I want to study these things. I want to have faith in them. But how do I do that when they're really difficult? Um, Specifically, I'm thinking in... This is like the first couple of chapters of 35, Nephi 20 through 23. Um, it's just he's going back and forth between Isaiah and Malachi, Isaiah and Malachi, Isaiah and Malachi, back and forth and twisting it together. And I'm just, you know, I get kind of lost in the mess. Okay. But here's something. If you have older kids maybe that like to like do search and find and puzzles and things like that, um, you might be interested to know that there is a chiasmus. Within these chapters, um, if you remember a chiasmus, we talked about this in a couple of episodes ago. It's a Jewish literary form where it's kind of like an acrostic poem that mirrors itself. So it starts off with like kind of a more distant point, And then each verse kind of builds on it, builds on it, builds on it until it gets to like the focal point. And then there's other verses that mirror back out kind of in like that arrow pattern. And there's actually a chiasmus in there. It starts in 3rd Nephi 2010 and it goes into 3rd Nephi 2029 20, or 2129. 3rd Nephi 2129. And I'll put that on my social media so you can see, you know, the how the little arrow goes in those scriptures. But it might be fun as a family to sit down and go through the chiasmus that Christ has created. So if he was creating this Jewish literary form of poetry, a chiasmus he would have to take parts of Isaiah and Malachi and kind of splice them together to make this like poetic form that he was creating. So that helped me understand like why he kind of mixed those together. Now, as far as to understand it, um, you know, again, it's like listening to opera sometimes where I just appreciate the beauty or, you know, relaxing my eyes while looking at a magic eye poster, um, just kind of like letting it come through. It also reminded me of, I'm just like full of metaphors today, guys. I'm sorry. But this is what it reminded me of. Um, A time I sat in a lecture, and it was an English lecture of some sort. I don't even remember what. But we were talking about the archetype of a hero's journey. So, you know, you have a hero, and he has like a sidekick, and they're given a quest, and they have to go on the quest, and they have to defeat the villain. And, you know, we we're talking about the different parts of that particular journey. And to give an example of the hero archetype's journey, the professor that was talking was using the examples of Harry Potter and Star Wars. Okay, so Harry Potter and Star Wars both have heroes, they have villains, they have sidekicks, all that stuff. And so when she started talking about like Harry Potter and Star Wars, I'm like, yes. You are speaking nerd. This is the language of my people. I understand this. And so, you know, she'd make an example with Harry Potter, and I'm like, okay, I got it. And then she'd talk about Star Wars, and I would say, yes, I've got it. Like, I understand this because it was something I grew up with. It's something I'm very familiar with, something I'm very comfortable with. And by using those two examples, all of a sudden, similarities in theme started to come out, and I was able to, you know, obviously put it in my mind. A whole lot deeper than if I just sat in a lecture that I didn't really have any context for. So I think a similar thing is happening to the people where he's taking Old Testament language and Old Testament scripture that they are probably familiar with, you know, maybe not Malachi 3 and 4 because obviously they just got that, but, you know, the Old Testament language would still be familiar. And he's taking the two of those two things and he's mixing them together to bring out themes and to take this language where they're like, yes, I've got it. This is the language of my people to kind of put it more permanently into their minds. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to show you the themes that kind of emerge from that. And we can even see the themes when we go in and we start like looking at the number of times that words appear. For example, the word covenant from, okay, this is from 3rd Nephi 2010 until 3rd Nephi 21, 29. The word covenant appears 16 times. The word the Father appears 39 times. The word the people appears 35 times. So what does that tell us about the theme that's coming out? That he is using these two different like pieces of scripture to put together into this beautiful poetic form because he wants to tell us about a covenant between the Father and his people. So what does that tell us? That... Even anciently, when people covenanted with the Father, He kept His promises. And that's what the reading is about this week. So, when we go to the Father and we covenant with Him, He keeps His promises. So, that is kind of what I got from like this convoluted mix and mess of, you know, Malachi and Isaiah that are all kind of mashed together. Um, That's kind of what I got out of it. Again, I didn't go in and like nitpick every detail, it was more just like, overall just taking it in and kind of trying to see the truth of it. But basically, it comes back to God keeps his promises. And so if there's something you're waiting on, if there's something that you're struggling with, remember God keeps his promises. And that's what I got from that particular section. Now I'm going to skip back up into the first section of Come Follow Me, which is, in the latter days, God will perform a great and marvelous work. It says, the Savior gave the multitude some remarkable promises and prophesied about the future of his covenant people. And his covenant people includes you. So I also want to talk about this when we talk about inclusion in the church. Um, you know, for the longest time I grew up, I'm the daughter of two like, convert parents. Neither one of my, my parents are have, are like one of the big, you know, ancestral church families. Like, we didn't come from the pioneers. We don't have any pioneer ancestors, like that whole thing. So they would like have pioneer day and they would talk about, you know, church history stuff and like, Oh, I'm related to this person. I'm this person's, you know, third wife's great, great granddaughter or whatever. I don't know. So, but I never had that. So I didn't feel part of like, I guess, that whole church history thing. Like I just didn't feel part of it. I I was proud to be the daughter of two converts and who are pioneers in their own family. And so for me, I was like, okay, I can be cool with being, a you know, the daughter of two pioneers from their own family. Maybe I'm not related to like the pioneers that went west to Utah and I'm not really part of like that whole Utah like church culture thing, but I can be part of my own church culture and I'm okay with that. And then... Ancestry.com has these really awesome like family history gathering things, like different activities and stuff like that. And one of those is that you can go and see your pioneer ancestors. And they I think they did this for Pioneer Day. I don't remember if they did it this year or the year before. One of those, one of these years they did it for Pioneer Day. You can go see what pioneers you had in your family tree. So I'm like, okay, Ancestry.com I had my sassy pants on. I'm like, go ahead and look at my family tree. I don't have any pioneers in my family tree. My family tree, we're all, you know, Gentiles, <laughs> whatever. And so, you know, Ancestry puts my information in and it comes back and it's like, hey, here are six pioneers that you had in your family tree. I'm like, what? What? And there's another thing you can put in where you're like, you know, who are missionaries that served from your family tree, like back in the early history of the church. And there's people popping up that I'm related to you know, sixteenth times removed or whatever, but I'm still I'm related to it. I'm part of that. And I started realizing that we're all part of that, whether we realize it or not. You know, I had spent what, like thirty five years of my life thinking I didn't have pioneer ancestry and all of a sudden I found out that I did. Did that change who I am? No. Did it change really how I felt about the church? Not really. It's just kind of like a cool thing. Like, oh, hey, I actually do belong with you people. Okay. You know, I mean, it was kind of like one of those moments. But I think the reason it wasn't like a big life-changing moment other than, oh, that's cool, was because I already felt like I belonged to Christ. And as long as it was Christ's church, then I belonged because I belonged to him. And so when Come Follow Me says... Look for prophecies about the last day in the Savior's words in Third Nephi 20-22. And which of these prophecies are especially exciting to you, especially about, you know, the gathering of the house of Israel and everything like that. Um, the ones that I chose was from Third Nephi 20. And it says, this is 30, 3 Nephi 20, 30. And it shall come to pass that the time cometh when the fullness of my gospel shall be preached unto them. And they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shall pray unto the Father in my name. Then shall their watchmen lift up their voice, and with their voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye. Then will the Father gather them together again, and give unto them Jerusalem for the land of their inheritance. Then shall they break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Father hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem." I loved those particular prophecies and felt that they were especially exciting to me because I see the gathering of the father in that, that he's gathering, you know, the people of the world, his house of Israel. And when we come into him and it says, you know, 31, they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the son of God, and shall pray unto the father in my name. Then we lift up our voice and with our voices together, we sing And a lot of times in the scriptures, the word seeing is used for like praise. Then we come together to praise our father and they shall see eye to eye. I love that because, again, like we belong. We see eye to eye. We're on equal levels with everyone who the father has gathered together. And we don't have to worry about, you know, not being a pioneer ancestor or whatever, because in 33, The Father gives unto them Jerusalem for the land of their inheritance. We all have a heritage with our Father in heaven. We all have a heritage with our Savior. And that's the heritage that matters that we need to focus on and that he gives us that heritage. And then in 34, and they shall break forth into joy. I love the action from that sentence that they break forth. Like, you know, just the action that conveys that you cannot contain your joy anymore. The joy that you have in the atonement and your Savior and the love that you feel for Him, you can't contain it anymore and you just break open. And I just picture joy just pouring out everywhere and people are singing together and the Father has comforted His people. And so I see the gathering and I see just the joy of the people. And the people getting along and the people loving each other. And then Come Follow Me asks at that point, what can you do to help fulfill the prophecies in these chapters? Well, we can help in gathering. And those who have been gathered, we can help them see the joy of the Savior. And the joy of our Heavenly Father and the joy of their gospel. We can help them feel like they are part of that inheritance of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it gives them. The atonement applies to them that they, you know, have all that the Father hath can be, can be theirs if they follow Him and they believe in Him and do what He has asked us to do. And then there is rejoicing. We can lead in rejoicing and helping others when they come to Christ, rejoice in that and just find the beauty in His gospel. So that's what I wrote down for those. Um, I think that they had, other ideas, I think they really wanted me to focus on, like, you know, what would happen before the second coming of Christ. And here are all the prophecies about the Book of Mormon coming forth and things like that. But that's not what I focused on. I focused on joy, on the prophecy of, like, when we come to Christ, we find joy. Because that prophecy is true no matter what era of life or time that you live in. You come to your Heavenly Father and your Savior and you find joy. So that was the prophecy I chose. Okay. So the next section of come follow me I want to talk about is God is merciful to those who return to him. And it is about third Nephi 22 and 24. And this part of come follow me, I was actually going to skip right over whoop. Like I was going to pretend like chapter 22 had like never happened. Um, because it had a really powerful emotional impact on me. And, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I just didn't want to talk about it because it almost felt so personal that I didn't really want to share it. But I feel like. It is something I need to share. And so I'm doing it. I had to fortify myself with an entire bowl of like Mexican queso cheese and chips, but I'm going to do it, guys. We're going to talk about it. I know I talk a lot about infertility. I apologize to those of you who are probably like, "Oh my gosh, she's going about this again. Like, why does she keep talking about this?" Because it's it was probably one of the biggest trials of my life. It still is one of the biggest trials of my life. But it happened about 10 years ago, I had kind of an emergency hysterectomy. And the doctor who performed it, I found out years down the road, didn't necessarily need to perform that surgery, that there was other information out there that he could have listened to and referred me to a specialist and we could have avoided it. But he made that choice in that time to give me that recommendation. I made the choice to listen to his recommendation and we proceeded with the surgery, which means I can never have children in this life. Um, I'm very lucky in that my patriarchal blessing promises me that I will have children in the life to come. And so that is a promise that I hold on to for my Heavenly Father when things get hard or when they get tough. But so all that in mind, when I go in and I read Third Nephi 22, and this first verse kind of like hits me in the head. So this is what it says. And then shall that which is written come to pass. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud thou that didst not travail with child and that part right there just like oh it just hits me to the core because you know infertility I think is not only like do I miss the inability to be able to like play with kids and have my own kids around me and things like that but you miss the ability to be pregnant and to you know have people around you be excited about that pregnancy and to be able to tell people about that you miss that too so that that whole that it's not travail with child part, especially just kind of gets me. I know, by the way, that this is a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor about the house of Israel and Zion and her stakes and everything like that. But because of the subject matter is what kind of came in and kicked me in the back of the head and was like, oh, this hurts so much to read. But the part of it that, you know, even though it talks about it, it says, break forth into singing, you know, sing, praise the Lord. Even in these hard times, even in the times of your life where you see is like the darkest valleys, praise and sing to the Lord. And Come Follow Me directs us back to these verses. It says, reading about these images, it talks about some images you might want to read about, might prompt you to think about your, your own relationship with the Lord. How have the promises in these chapters been fulfilled in your life? And it directs you specifically to 3 Nephi 22, 7 through 8. Starting in seven, it says, for a small moment, have I forsaken thee? We'll pause there. I don't think that the Lord ever actually forsakes us. I don't think he ever actually goes away. I think sometimes it just feels that way. You know, whatever we're going through, I feel like, you know, feels like almost like there's a pavilion that comes between us and the Lord, but I don't think he ever actually forsakes us. Okay. Continuing on with verse seven, but with great mercies, will I gather thee, even though you felt forsaken? I will still gather you up eight in a little wrath. I hid my faith from thee for a moment. Pause. Okay. So again, I know we are talking like metaphorically. So like, you know, this was against the house of Israel kind of thing, but with us personally, if he were talking about this personally to us, our relationship with the Lord, I don't necessarily know that he really gets mad at us and like hides his face from us. I think sometimes it's easy for us to see that in our own human kind of experience, like We feel like that's what's going on, but he doesn't. I don't think he ever does. Okay, continuing on. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, the Redeemer. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. And neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. The covenant of my peace. He promises us peace. I love that covenant that he uses the covenant of my peace when we follow him when we have faith in him he's there with us in those valleys in the mountains that shall depart and be removed his kindness is there with us and we have peace that's one of the blessings he promises us is peace 11 oh thou afflicted tossed with the tempest and not comforted have you ever felt like that tossed with the tempest afflicted and not comforted There, He's even recognizing there will be times where you feel like you are not comforted, like you feel like you're all alone, but we're not because the scripture goes on and it reads, Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and thy borders of pleasant stones. I will basically decorate your life up with jewelry. Like it's going to be gorgeous. You're going to sparkle and dazzle and it will be amazing. 13, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. That is the other half of these scriptures that kind of kicks me in the head because I'm like, okay, so you start out with someone talking about them not having children. And then here at the, in like kind of the middle, all of a sudden you're talking about great shall be the peace of thy children. And I talk about that promise. That's my patriarchal blessing that I will have children. That is what I'm holding on to. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. What a promise that is. What a blessing that is. And that is what I'm holding on to. And I believe that that can happen because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because of the covenants that he has made with me, because of him, that is possible. So, when I go in and I read 3 Nephi 22, I'm bawling my eyes out the entire time because... I know that he sees the innermost personal part of who I am. He recognizes that and he honors the promises he's made to that, you know, and that's, I'm just so amazed that we have a savior who loves us so personally and can bless us so personally as well. So that relationship is really what I saw in that particular chapter this week. And it actually I was thinking about that when a song came on the radio, and I was like, oh, well, I'll have to use the song in this week's episode because um, y'all, it's Dolly Parton and uh, hello, I love Dolly Parton. Of course, she's a Southern girl. And you know, I fellow Southern girl, just love it. So Dolly Parton and Zach Williams have paired up to, to sing the song. It's called "There was Jesus." So, no matter what we're going through, Jesus is with us. That's kind of like the theme that we're talking about. This, these are some of the lyrics. Every time I try to make it on my own, every time I try to stand, I start to fall. And all these lonely roads that I have traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been or where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. So, I'm going to let you guys hear this. It's There Was Jesus by Zach Williams and Dolly Parton. And I believe it really kind of shows the relationship that we have with our Savior. That even when we don't see Him, even when it seems like His face is turned away or you've been forsaken for a moment, like the scriptures that we read this week talk about, He's still there. And that's really what I want to, I guess, emphasize about this chapter. It talks about, you know, in my wrath. I hid my face from thee. I don't think that he does. I think that that's what we think sometimes, but he's always there for us in those broken pieces. We can find him. So I'm going to end this week's episode there. And I'll let you listen, guys, listen to Dolly and her friend, Zach Williams. So I hope you have an excellent week. I love you guys. Bye Mm y'all.
1: Every time I try to make it on my mind Every time I try to stand and start to fall And all those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had Were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then But I can see it now Well there was Jesus In the way of the, uh,
0: The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash said. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions, email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in the Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.